to teach his disciples, Jesus told stories. And they listened to him tell stories to other people as well. He wanted to teach about who he was and why he came. And I reckon this is his greatest story, isn't it? It starts very simply. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Uh, We call this story the prodigal son. What's prodigal mean? Do you know? It's not a word we use very much, is it? I, I never knew what it meant. I had to look it up. It means extravagantly wasteful. It's what those town water people do with their taps and their hoses, you know? It's buying a new mobile phone every three months and throwing out the old one. Extravagantly wasteful. And that's exactly what he does, doesn't he? He gets a bag of money, he goes to a distant country, he squanders it in wild living, and so before too long there's a famine and he begins to be in need. So much so, the only job he can get is the worst possible job for a Jewish young man. He's feeding the pigs. It's a riches to rags story, and it's a juicy one, for there's some wild living in there. And that's scintillating, isn't it? What was that wild living that he was doing? Well, do you notice that Jesus spends two words on the wild living? Wild living. That's it. And then he spends the next 50 words telling you how he began to be in need. Now, it's not the wild living. That's the point. His biggest crime is before he leaves home. Have a look at verse 12. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Literally, give me my share that's coming to me. He's simply asking for what he's going to get. It's his. One third of the estate, because of of course, as should rightly be the case, the older son always gets the most. You can guess where I come in the family. (laughs) What's wrong with what he's saying to his father here? He's simply asking for what's coming to him. It's all about timing, isn't it? When will he get this? When his father is dead. Children, do you think it would be a good idea to ask your parents for your inheritance? I wouldn't try if I was you. What's he saying to his dad? Dad, drop dead, won't you? I'd rather have a credit card, I'd rather have a bag of money than a dad. That's what he's saying to his dad. And his dad in order to fulfill this wish, has to sell part of the farm. It's not like he's got money in the bank in those days and he's just going to make a withdrawal or an internet transfer. He's going to have a third less property to live on. It costs him, but more than that, it costs him because his own son tells him to drop dead. Jesus is showing us here what sin is, isn't he? It's the way we treat God. We reject him, we wish he was dead, we live as if he was dead. Whether you do that in wild living or you simply enjoy his gifts but ignore the giver. When you use God, you abuse God. And you can tell because how often do we actually thank God for what he gives us? Sin is to say to God, drop 
And the irony is, as you see here in the story, is that God doesn't. God doesn't drop dead. But it's as if the son does. My son was dead. As we saw in Ephesians 2, we are dead in our sins. Well, there's nothing like dire straits, is there, to see things clearly. And as he begins to be in need, as he's surrounded by the pigs, he comes to his senses. And he does a quick cost-benefit analysis, remembers what it was like back home. How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. But it's not just self-interest that he comes to his senses with. He comes to his senses about what he's done. Done to his father, verse 18. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired Spot on, isn't it? This younger son not only shows us what sin is, that we reject God, he shows us how to respond to your sin, what to do about it. It's not try harder, it's not pull your socks up, it's come to your senses. Admit it to yourself and admit it to God. Well, he does that. He goes back to his father, verse 20. He uh, He went away full, a bag full of money, a heart full of expectations, and now he's coming back empty. His bag is empty and his heart is empty. He stinks at the pigs and he's oppressed by guilt and he's afraid. I reckon he's probably rehearsing this speech again and again, trying to figure out a way to say it that might go okay. And as he's walking and as he's near home, He hears something and he sees something, but he soon realizes it's not something but someone. Someone is running towards him. And he can't see who it is first, but then he realizes it's his dad. And before he knows it, before he can even say a word to his dad, his dad grabs him, throws his arms around him and kisses him. Finally, he gets to say something, verse 20, on Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But he doesn't get to finish and ask to be a hired man because, well, what does his father do? Verse 22, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. We've heard this story before, so we knew that was going to happen. No surprises. But that is extraordinary. What do you think the younger son expected to happen? What did he expect his father to say? Son, you're back, are you? You've got to hide coming home, haven't you? Where's all my money? Why don't you just go back to the doghouse and I'll figure out what to do with you. That's what he expected. That's what he should get. But instead, when he's still a long way off, his father sees him. How does he see him a long way off? Has he got closed circuit TV? Is he following on Google Maps? No. He's got to be looking, hasn't he? That's obvious. Each day he is looking and waiting, hoping that he will come home. And when he sees him, he is filled with compassion. He's moved in his guts. And he runs and kisses him. 
Now, we're pretty uncomfortable with the whole kissing thing, aren't we? But remember Jonathan and David, this is normal behaviour for Middle Eastern men. That's okay. What's abnormal is that he runs. The father does not run. The patriarch of the family does not run. He is dignified and waits. But this father cannot wait. Quick, he says. Can you see how extraordinary, how totally unexpected this is? Jesus tells a couple of stories before this one. Do you remember? The lost sheep and the lost coin. And both times he says, suppose one of you loses a sheep. Does he not find it and throw a party? Yes. Suppose one of you loses a coin. Does she not find it and throw a party? Yes. But does Jesus say the same thing here? Suppose one of you has a son who tells you to drop dead and then squanders all his inheritance and then comes back and asks to be accepted back. Do you not welcome him and run to him and throw your arms around him and kill the fattened calf? Does Jesus say that? No. Why not? Because the answer would be no. Of course not. This is totally unexpected. My younger brother stole my parents' car and disappeared for a month. They didn't know where he was. And when he came back, They didn't throw a party to celebrate. And too right. But this father does. He's extravagantly wasteful, do you see? He kills the fattened calf. We call this the prodigal son, but can you see it's the prodigal father? His son who doesn't deserve it, he goes berserk. He goes over the moon and he kills the fattened calf and throws a party because he's got him back. He is extravagantly wasteful. He is the prodigal father. And more than that, this is not just a story, is it? This is not just Jesus telling a story, telling you that God might be like this. God is like this. And he has a son. And his son is telling the story because his son has come into the world to live and to die, to seek and to save the lost. So much so that as we saw in the video, Jesus is going to die next to a man who's been extravagantly wasteful who's done, who is getting what his deeds deserve on the cross. And at the very last moment, he has the audacity to say to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What should Jesus say? You've got to be kidding, mate. You've got to hide. What right have you got to ask for that? But Jesus does not. For he is a son of the Father. A prodigal father and a prodigal son. You see, you can't follow Jesus anymore. You can't watch Jesus anymore. You can't listen to Jesus anymore. So where do you start with discipleship? What does it mean to be a disciple? You start here. We are the prodigal son. We've said to God, drop dead. We deserve nothing. 
We must come to our senses, admit it to us, admit it to God. Have you done that? And we have a prodigal God who's better than the father in the story. The father in the story is only longing and looking, hoping that his son will come. What does the real prodigal father do? He sends his only son to seek and to save by dying. The father in story only throws a party and welcomes us back, welcomes the son back when he comes to his senses. But God didn't wait for us to come to our senses because we never would have. We were dead in our sins. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ when we were dead. Where do you start with discipleship? Well, I ask you, have you been made alive? Have you been saved by grace? It's no point spending a term on discipleship if you haven't become a disciple yet. And you can only become a disciple when you come to your senses and you realise that God is a prodigal God, extravagantly wasteful in giving his son for you. You've got to start at the very beginning. And not only start at the very beginning, you've got to continue with grace. There's a second son in the story, isn't there? He's not quite as famous because he never said to his dad, Dad, drop dead. He never went off in wild living, so he's not nearly as exciting as the first son. He stayed and worked hard. And he was still working hard when the son came home, verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother's come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older son was so over the moon. This was so what he was longing and hoping would happen that he ran into the party and threw his arms around his younger brother. No. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out to him and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf. I don't know about you, but I sympathise with the older brother. Younger children in the family always get it off easy, I reckon. I'm an older brother. But look at his attitude. What does he say about his brother? This son of yours... How does he talk to his father? Well, the younger son calls him father. He calls him, look. I've been slaving for you. Do you see, he's physically stayed with his father, but his heart is in a far country. And Jesus wants the Pharisees who are listening to this story, who look down on the sinners and the tax collectors, they want them to see themselves in this older brother and see how ugly they are and how they need to repent. And I wonder tonight, in our discipleship, whether we need to see ourselves in the older brother as well. 
My guess is if, if you've been a follower of Jesus for a while and you hear there's going to be a series on discipleship, it's not a mystery to you. You know the sorts of stuff we're going to be talking about. What sorts of things do you need to be doing if you're following Jesus? Well, you're going to be reading your Bible, you're going to be praying, you're going to be involved in church, you're going to be giving your money and you're going to be serving. They're the hot topics, aren't they? That's what we'll be doing and you're right. And chances are you're already doing them. You're already working away, and the thought of this series is not that exciting, really. It doesn't fill you with joy because it's frankly become a burden. Slaving away like the older brother. Imagine how different it could be if we actually got this prodigal God and understood him And had that image in our mind. Imagine we'd be not reading our Bibles because we have to, but because we're so delighted that God's prepared to speak to us. We'd be praying not because that's what disciples have to do, but because we can't believe he listens to us. We'd be involved in church not because that's what's expected, but because it's a privilege to be part of his people. We'd be giving money not because it's a tax, But because God's given us so much, we'd be serving, not because we have to, but because Jesus has served us. Imagine discipleship that sees the prodigal God who is extravagantly wasteful towards us. Can you imagine that? How good would that be? I think God is pleading for us To come inside. How does the story end here? Well, the father speaks to his son, doesn't he? And that's how it comes to an end. My son, verse 31, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. They're powerful words, aren't they? And it sounds like a conclusion to the story, partly because they're well-balanced and it's poetic and you've heard the words before in the story as well. But imagine this is a movie and the father is outside talking to his son and he says these words and then the credits roll. What are you left with? What are you wondering? What do you want to know? What did he do? Did the son come inside? Or not? Did he come to his senses? Why does Jesus finish like that? I think very simply because he wants us to finish the story. Will we come inside? For the Pharisees, that meant stop putting their finger down on the tax collectors and sinners and knowing that they needed to repent. In our discipleship, we need to stop seeing it as a burden. And to see the prodigal God who gave his prodigal son for us. And we need to be so delighted in that generosity from God. God's asking us, will you come inside and live with Jesus and enjoy his generosity? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Thanks for the great privilege of being disciples of Jesus. 
It's a hard thing to get your head around because he's not here to follow. He's not here to watch. He's not here to listen to. But Father, help us to start. Help us to start by coming to our senses about how we've treated you, seeing that we are like the prodigal son. And Father, help us to grasp yet again in bigger ways than ever how extravagantly wasteful you have been towards us by giving your only son to welcome us home. We pray that as we look at all these different ways that we're to be disciples of Jesus over the next few weeks, that at the core of it, the foundation of it, that throughout all our Christian life would be your grace, your generosity to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.